The world is hungry for what can only be delivered through the body of Christ in this world, God's love. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church, and there's your July update. An update we weren't anticipating, but one that we feel very strongly the Lord has led us to do in the days ahead. So I hope that you'll start planning and help us spread the word of what church could look like during the month of July. Well, we're going to dig in today as we continue our sermon series on the 11th commandment. There was a song written a long time ago that you'll know the words to very well. And I'll start the first part of the song. It says, what the world needs now is, you can fill in the blank. If that song was being written today, it would probably sound like what the world needs now is bluebell, ice cream. That would solve all the world's problems right now, and life would be a lot happier. Some might say what the world needs now is college football. We just need a distraction. Certainly somebody would write the words, what the world needs now is a cure to the virus. But that song that was written so long ago really speaks to the heartache of our world. It says what the world needs now is, remember, love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Love for everyone, no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter your status. It's a love, sweet love, the love of Jesus that reigns in our hearts. That's exactly what Jesus spoke to the disciples when he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, you love all people, just as I have loved you. Well, I think we can all relate that it's easy to love others like everyone else loves. It's so natural to love people conditionally. It's so natural to love like we've been loved. That's all we know is this natural love. But that's not what the world needs. The world has had that, and it doesn't work. Conditional love, man's love, always fails. It's a true love, agape love. The love of God will never fail. And that's what the world needs more than ever right now. They need the sweet love of Jesus through you and through me. So how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we love differently? Well, Jesus modeled it for us. He just didn't preach the new commandment. He lived the new commandment. He demonstrated to us what it means to love one another. Matter of fact, through the whole month of July, we're going to transition in this sermon series. And we'll begin on July the 11th. Uh, we'll be talking about how did Jesus love people? What did it look like? How did he demonstrate this 11th commandment? We're challenging everyone in the church to read a chapter a day, each day during the month of July out of the book of Matthew. I'll be bringing sermons each Sunday highlighting a certain way that Jesus modeled the love of God for one another. So we'll learn from his life, and we'll do that again tonight, but, or this morning. But as we dig into the Word, let's dig in in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews also brought this same message, 59 different ways we can love one another. The book of Hebrews gives two or three that we're going to look at this morning. Take a look at it. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this verse, but I want to show you the context through what the Holy Spirit laid on the writer of Hebrews. We've studied this passage before, but it says, verse 13, encourage one another. In other words, we are to live a loving life that places courage. That's what it means to encourage. It means to place courage in to another person. Encourage one another, watch this, not just on Sundays, 
Not like we used to be able to when we gathered together in corporate worship in an auditorium where I'm preaching to an empty auditorium now. No, it says encourage one another day after day. Doesn't matter what's going on in our day. Doesn't matter what's going on in our world. God's will for your life and mine is that we encourage one another as long as it's still called today so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The writer of Hebrews was constantly exhorting uh, these believers to know how to love one another. A great way to do that is through the ministry of encouragement. It says here, if you look at verse 13 again, that we're to do that day after day. Not just once in a while. Not just when we're gathered together corporately in a building. Not once a year. Not on Sundays. But it says every single day, day after day, the next day. As long as that day is called today, you're to live out the ministry of encouragement. That encouragement should be, as we see here, a daily practice. Not a chore, not an obligation, but it's a spiritual discipline. It's the overflow of a spirit-filled life. If I've received the love of God in my life, daily the love of God ought to flow from my life. You're in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's flip over to the main passage I wanted to focus on this morning. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10 now. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 24. Verse 24. He's been encouraging them how to demonstrate this love, how to encourage one another, how to live out a faith in a world that was trying to not love them and persecute them. And now we wake up in this chapter, chapter 10, verse 24, and he says, And let us also consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, we got to live with perspective. we got to know we're not always going to be on this planet. And as long as God has left us here, until he returns or until we're raptured out of this world, we should live a focused life of spreading the love of God through the lives we live with one another. Well, how do we do that? What does it look like? Well, the first thing, look at verse 24. He says, let us consider. Let us consider. He challenges them to stop and, and engage, engage their soul which is where you find the mind, the will, and the emotions. That we love, yes, from the Spirit, but we also have to engage our person. We need to think about being intentional with our life of love, our life of ministry. So he says, let us consider. Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, he taught them how to consider properly, and here's the context. I'll put it on the screen. Look at it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus. In other words, before we worry about what we should do for God or what God wants to do through us, we first should consider Jesus alone. How did Jesus love other people? What is Jesus' will for my life? Today, as I live out my faith, let me consider what the Lord did and what the Lord wants to do. And when I consider him and his will, the rest seems to take care of itself. The writer of Hebrews kept telling him, you need to consider first Jesus, and then go back to chapter 10 again, verse 24. Then as you consider Jesus and his will for your life, that then filters out in the way I love other people. Let me consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You see, as we think on Jesus, it leads to looking through a lens as Jesus would look into those people's lives. Seeing them as Jesus would see them. Seeing my daily calendar as Jesus would see his daily calendar. 
It's considering his will and considering others as we look to them. Well, how do you consider Jesus? How do you go through that lens? Well, a great reference verse that we've seen before is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Again, the Apostle Paul, writing here to other believers, says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. He, he draws their attention off of the horizontal, and he draws it vertical. Keep your eyes focused, basically, on the author and finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's painting a picture for them that they're to keep their eyes focused on their sovereign king that the Lord is there in heaven and he's ruling, and we're to seek first his kingdom in all things. That's our focus and our mindset. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. One of the greatest challenges that we're seeing is we've lived months now, many sheltering at home, uh, much of our life being restricted, and, and rightfully so as we're dealing with a very uh, deadly virus. Many people because of a lack of engagement, are really struggling. And, and, and through this time of being separated, this time of being isolated, many people are struggling mentally and emotionally. And it's very easy to get our focus on all this negativity that's happening on this earth right now. Apostle Paul said you can't get trapped in these things. You can't allow your brain and your mind to constantly be consumed with the things of this earth. Keep your mind focused Consider Jesus. Stay focused that he is still the king and he is still ruling and he's still reigning from his throne. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, I want you to underline that. In these days that we live in and, and when it seems like the vitality of life has been uh, sucked out of us, has been withdrawn because of a lack of fellowship with other people or engagement, let us remember our life doesn't come from anything in this world. Our life comes from Christ who lives in us. Verse 4, for when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will, will be revealed with him in all glory. So as we live out this life of faith, let us first consider Jesus. And as we look to Jesus and we keep our eyes focused on the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that will then give us the right lens to look through to see how we can love one another. To have a kingdom love, a kingdom focus, considering this, who Christ is in me and what Christ wants to do through me. And so as you go back to, uh, as you go back into Hebrews and you look at what he was challenging, he says, consider how to stimulate one another. So in other words, consider with a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. Think with intentionality. What can God do through me today? How can I bless another person's life? I need to consider that every day I wake up. We're being taught here by the writer of Hebrews that we're not to live life aimlessly. That we just go about our days and we just go to work if we even have a job right now. If we can go to a store. If we just try to survive this virus. No, that's not how you live. You don't live aimlessly. You live with purpose. That Someone once said, that aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. What good is it just to take in oxygen, consume some groceries, and call that living? That's not living. That's just consuming time. The Bible says we are to live intentionally with a purpose. So what are you going to do with your life? You have 24 hours today. God's given you this day. This is the day he's made. 
And he made it for you, and he made it for a glorious purpose to bring glory and honor to his name, and he wants to do that through you. So what will you do in these 24 hours? If you haven't considered that, if you haven't thought about that, you'll live this day aimlessly. Very little for the kingdom will get accomplished. I think one of the very best practical tools I ever received in ministry was at a JSTRAC uh, student leadership workshop. In that workshop, we were taught how to make the most of God's gift called time. Every day, this is the day God has made. It's a gift to us. Each one of us receives the very same gift, the same 24-hour period. The question is, what will we do to seek first the kingdom of God in those 24 hours? How will I live out this day and do it in a way that is pleasing to him and honors him? Well, we learned a time management skill called time activation, that we would consider the day before we live the next day, that we would take that night before the next day and consider that whole 24-hour period and map out what was God wanting to do in our lives that day the best we could see it. We were to take once a week and plan out the next week. We were to take once a month, plan out the next month. And we were taught to consider, to look through the lens of Jesus, to look through the lens of kingdom intentionality and make the most of our days. It was life-changing for me as a believer. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us similar wisdom. Uh, look at this verse. We'll put it on the screen. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Uh, what's the difference between wisdom and foolishness? Look at the next verse. Making the most of your time. It's a fool that lives life aimlessly. It's a fool that does not consider, what does God want to do in my life today? It's a fool who wastes time rather than maximizes the time making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Part of the will of the Lord for your life is to live wisely. Part of the will of the Lord for your life is that you maximize each and every day and that you do that with this kingdom perspective we keep talking about. So be careful how we walk. Be wise with how you spend your time. Making the most of every single day. That's a spiritual discipline. And that means I have to consider, what can I do in this time? What do I do with my mornings? What am I going to do this afternoon? What do I do this evening? What does God want to do through me? It is returning back to a thinking, a pondering, and a reflecting. So I want to challenge you, when you get up in the mornings, spend time considering. Spend time praying and and asking God to reveal to you what he wants to do. Spend time meditating, mulling over what God would do through you to spur someone else in the faith. You see, every day is new. Every day is different. Every day things are changing. And we should constantly be evaluating the uniqueness of those 24 hours and how we might seize the day in that moment. Well, we're there in Hebrews chapter 10, he says... Not only are we to consider, but we are to stimulate. Now, in the NIV, it uses the word spur, to spur on. To stimulate one another means to spur on another. That word that's translated either stimulate in the New American Standard or spur on in the NIV literally means to encourage with sharp intention. It, it, it has this intention of intense, focused energy to motivate and almost to push someone in a direction. 
it literally means to provoke another person. That could be another word used here. Now, that word provoke takes on a negative sense. What can be used for God's glory, Satan can twist and use it in a negative way. Most of us, when we think of the word provoke, we think of it in a negative example. I can give you several from Scripture. In Acts chapter 15, verses 39 and following, we have the story of Paul and Barnabas on the second missionary trip. And it says that they were provoked against one another in such a way that they split off into two teams. What provoked them? They were arguing about the usefulness of John Mark. John Mark, who had failed in the first missionary trip, who went running home halfway through the trip, the Apostle Paul drew the conclusion, he's worthless to me. He, he, he never finishes what he starts. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, one who wanted to encourage one another day after day, said, I'm not going to give up on him. And so there rose a division. Uh, they were provoked to separate. That's a pretty negative experience. A second example is in Ephesians 6.4 when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so here we're taught that if we're not careful in the flesh trying to discipline our children, we can actually, instead of leading them in the way, motivating them in the right direction, we can actually push them away into a spirit of anger, provoking them in anger. It's interesting, a third example, negative provocation, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. says, do not act unbecomingly. Love is described. It's the love chapter. And at this verse, verse 5, it says, and love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It's the same word here that's used in Hebrews 10 uh, that we are to provoke or spur on one another. So what gives? If we see these negative examples that we're not to provoke our children, we're not to provoke one another in love, then why would the writer of Hebrews ever say, provoke one another, spur one another on? Well, there's a better illustration. And that word spur on maybe is a, is a better. So let me put my cowboy hat on. Many of you may not remember 2012, may not have been a part of our church, but in 2012, uh, that's when I earned my spurs. That's when I became an official cowboy. Two different surgeries because of two different horse accidents, all in the matter of three weeks. One, a back surgery. Three weeks later, I would blow out my knee and have a huge leg surgery. I became an official cowboy, all right? So I get to talk as an expert today. And here you see this picture of a cowboy in the saddle, his boots there firmly rooted in the stirrups, but look to the back of his boot and you see the spur. Now notice that spur, it doesn't have a bunch of sharp edges on it, it's been whittled down, it's been filed down, but that spur is used by the cowboy to give a signal to that horse. It's not used all the time and it's not a cruel instrument. A lot of people think spurring a horse would be cruel and it would hurt. Now as you can see, it's been filed down, it's it's literally an object, a method of giving a cue to that horse. It's, it's actually a loving thing a cowboy does in a time of crisis. If that horse maybe doesn't see something the cowboy sees and needs to move him quickly or move him in a certain direction, only then, in rare occasion, will that cowboy spur on that horse. It is to lovingly direct that horse in a new direction. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us here, is that God wants to work through us amongst the body of believers with our brothers and sisters 
To encourage each other, yes, but also to spur one another on. That there are times God wants to use you in somebody's life to encourage them, but also to help motivate them in a certain direction. So let's look at it again. Verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stimulate, how to spur one another to love and to good deeds. Not only are we called to be loving, not only are we called of God to do good deeds, but God also calls us in the way we love one another to help others learn how to love right. To encourage somebody maybe how to uh, maybe engage in their faith and, and maybe instead of just showing up for church or just saying they're a Christian, actually engaging in kingdom ministry. There are times God may want to use you to be that person to help them get to that next step in their Christian faith. But it can't become negative if we think we're spiritual and we're trying to preach at somebody and say, man, you need to be more engaged in your faith or you need to be doing this. That would be fleshly provocation. But there is a way to provoke one another, to spur one another on, to say, come and walk with me and let's do ministry together. And I encourage you right now. I know you feel defeated in your faith. I know you're struggling in this moment. But let me encourage you. Let's serve the Lord together. That's what the writer of Hebrews is speaking of. How do we do that? How do we do that in a healthy way, not a negative way? Look at verse 25. He goes on to say that as we spur one another to love and good deeds, we do that by not forsaking our assembly together. Well, I've heard this verse a lot during COVID times. I've heard a lot of people use this verse and say, oh, the, the government is robbing us of our God-given call to not forsake the assembling of the brethren. And certainly this passage deals with corporate worship and gathering together. But unfortunately, in our Western Christianity, church has become a Sunday morning experience, not a New Testament experience completely. If you look throughout all of the New Testament history, you'll find that Believers for much of Christian New Testament history didn't get to gather one day a week. They didn't get to gather in buildings. And still even today around this globe, there are many believers that don't have the privilege that we've had in America to gather safely and freely and express our religious freedoms. They've had to do it in underground churches and home sale groups. And they've had to hide from government agencies persecuting the church and they still gathered together. So it isn't about just a Sunday morning thing. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we should be doing life together, that we should be gathering, not just on Sundays. And certainly while we can't during COVID restrictions, find ways. Find ways just like the church has done throughout all of history to encourage one another, and we do that together side by side. You can't do it just on Facebook. You can't do it just through social media. And part of the distractions of this generation is we think we're connected because they have all these friends digitally. We're not gathering together. We're not doing life together. We're not encouraging each other as we can or should. We're not spurring one another on as we can. Instead, we're provoking one another through our Facebook post. We're angering and splitting apart and dividing as a nation. When the writer of Hebrews says, no, let's come together. Let's walk through life together. Let's do this together, encouraging each other and spurring one another on. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever we do in word or deed, we're to do it all to the glory of God. And so 
I want to encourage us as we learn to love like Christ loved, Christ gathered with the people. He just didn't hang out at a sanctuary and say, come to me and hear me preach. He went to people. He spent time in sinners' homes with other people, and he loved them right where they were. He spent time with his disciples one-on-one every single day. He did life with them. They didn't show up for a seminary class. They didn't show up for a 24-7 check-in. They, they did life together. He encouraged them. He taught them. He lived faith with them. He spurred them on through the life that he lived, the life that he modeled. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. The way you love others should glorify God. The way you treat others should glorify God. The things you do shouldn't be to get God's love. It should be to demonstrate God's love. I often have people ask me, Pastor, do you think it's okay to, and then fill in the blank. Is it okay to do this? Do you think it's all right if we do this in moderation? What do you think? What do you, what do you think Scripture says? And I would simply point them out to the definition of sin. Sin is anything that falls short of the glory of God. So does that thing or that decision you're making, does it bring glory to God? If it does, you got your answer. And what I found is that most people knew the answer ahead of time. They were just looking for what I call loophole Christianity. Looking for a way just to kind of dodge some things, get outside of the perceived box, and live like, like everyone else is with a horizontal perspective. And we need to look through the lens of Jesus. Consider Jesus and consider how we can spend our days encouraging, exhorting, and spurring on one another. So let me give you the context of chapter 10. Drop down to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll close with this. Look at verse 32. These believers that were being addressed were struggling. They had a much different, they didn't have religious freedom like we do. They were under great persecution. Many of their friends have been thrown in jail, some beaten to the point of death. They've seen people lose life. They've seen people lose property. They've seen their friends and their family locked up because they professed Jesus and not allegiance to Caesar. Look at verse 32. The writer of Hebrews says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were mistreated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So what we've been focusing on this morning, the writer of Hebrews was talking to an audience that was living in a way different world than what we live in. They might not have been struggling with a virus, but they were struggling with great trials and great persecution. And they had brothers and sisters that had been locked up in prisons. And by going and ministering to them while they were in prison, they were identifying with them, and now they were guilty by association. They knew that to practice the ministry of encouragement day after day, to love on their brothers and sisters, encouraging them and spurring them on while they were in prison, certainly would mean imprisonment for them loss of their own property, maybe even loss of life. But they didn't shelter at home. They didn't play it safe. They lived out a love 
that only Jesus can do. A love that loves people where they are, no matter what that means, and no matter what it costs. And that was the greatest picture of the gospel that drew thousands of people daily into the church because they saw people loving one another when it wasn't easy. They didn't hide in fear, but they considered, they considered, how can I bless my brother in prison? How can I spur on my sister who's lost their husband because of persecution? Daily, they were thinking about it. And daily, they were doing something about it. Maybe the Lord is using this time in our generation to wake us up, to return us to the 11th commandment, to love one another as Christ loved us. Let's pray together. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, I thank you for that love that you poured out on us, that love that you demonstrated while we were yet sinners. When we were falling short of your glory, Lord, you still loved us. God, you said you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. That's the love that you give. And Lord, you've told us that that's the love we're to give. Not just receive it into our own heart, but to share it with the world that desperately, what this world needs now, more than a remedy to the virus, is love, sweet love, your love, Jesus. And so God, give us that spiritual discipline right now. God, place that in our hearts. Holy Spirit, birth within us that spiritual discipline of consideration that we would consider you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would consider every single day a gift from you and what you seek to do through our lives this day. And then, Lord, as we submit to you, as we take up our cross, as we are filled with your Spirit, Lord Jesus, love through us. If you're praying with me this morning and you've never received the love of God in your heart, I would encourage you to reach out to our online pastor and say, how can I know the love of Jesus? Or you can email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. That's ministry at pcbc.tv and say, how can I know the love of Jesus? We'll get back with you. Somebody will email you back. We'll walk you through that. If you want to leave a phone number, we'll call you. Whatever we can do to help you know the love of God that has transformed our lives as well. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.